Amen. Let's read the scripture together. Open your Bibles if you have them with you, if you brought them, if you've got a phone, if you're at home. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. They'll sound very familiar if you were here last week. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. The word of the Lord. And sometimes in churches we say, thanks be to God. We don't actually usually do that here, but it's something we do often in our KLC, so I'm introducing it. If I say the word of the Lord, you say, thanks be to God. Why? Because it's good. We also read scripture twice a lot. So let's read it again. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The word of the Lord. Amen. Because it's a list, I don't know if reading it twice helps that much. It still just kind of flies through, I think. I want to take you back to a rather large basement. It was actually a ranch house, and so when I say basement, I mean there's big open windows looking out this hill in the back. What do they call that? There's a term for that. A walkout. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to walk out. I'm 17, and I am what you'd expect a 17-year-old to be. I don't know what that is for you, but I assume it's accurate to what I was. And so imagine me sitting there. Um, with a little bit of a stirring in my heart, because I wasn't entirely rebellious. I was just mostly rebellious. <laughs> but my sister had found the Lord, and when I say that, I mean the Lord pretty dramatically found her just a few years prior. And she started sharing with me all sorts of wonderful things about who God was, and I was like, cool. That was it. And I'm sitting in this basement, but now it's two years later, or a year and a half later, and she's been praying pretty constantly for me. And when you pray for somebody, I don't know if you know this. If you do know this, that's awesome. If you don't know this, this is a fact. When you pray for somebody, stuff happens. Things start to change and stir in them. It doesn't mean you can like magically from a distance cast a spell on people. That's not what I'm talking about. But the love that you are practicing for them when you pray for them in secret begins to churn away and kind of erode the stone of their heart. So that was what was happening to me. So I'm sitting there in this basement, and my sister says, hey, I'm going to invite a friend over. I'm like, okay, whatever. Nothing matters. 
and a gentleman comes in, and he's uh, fairly young. He's got a bandana and greasy hair. And uh, they start talking, and I'm just sitting there listening. And he has, I found out, been at some sort of ministry school for a while. And my sister's asking him all sorts of questions about his experience there. Uh, what's new? What's different? What has the Lord kind of birthed and merged in you? Um, and he says, well, I can see angels now. <laughs> yeah, just over there. It's like, for me, it's not like a solid, like I don't see, you know, um, like Joseph in the, in the desert, uh, or sorry, not Joseph, Joshua in the desert. I don't see like the armor and this, you know, terrifying thing. But I can tell. If I look over there, there's just sort of like a wavy, in this case, it's blue. It's different colors depending on what they're doing, presents. I'm describing what was going on in the basement. Hold on to that story for now. We'll come back to it. So let's recap. We're in a gifted series, but before the gifted series, we were in a series on Acts. Shout something you remember from the book of Acts. I can bring a microphone around too. Pentecost, yeah. Anything else? The birth of the church, yeah. What else? Angels, yep. Jesus, Jesus, corporate prayer. The presence and the power of God. Healing, right? In Acts, you did a pretty good job in Acts. They remembered a lot, yeah. (laughs) In Acts, we got to see a glimpse of traits of the church that God had planned to put on earth in order for his blessings to flow to all peoples, right? Then we did a Vision Sunday after the series in Acts. And that was not a mistake because we wanted to get a picture of what the church was supposed to look like and then we wanted to say, look, our vision is like that, right? And now we're in a gifted series. Do you think that's a mistake? No, it's on purpose because it's time for us as individuals and as a congregation corporately to start to understand our peculiar giftedness so that we can step into that vision that aligns with the word of God that we've been given. Amen? So that's the purpose. We started our gifted series with this idea that we're ignorant of the gifts, and I think that was a right assessment for many of us. And then we went on to this discussion. If you can pull up... um, the graph or the chart that we had last week about apest is the language that we use. And so you've got up here this apostolic ministry, this prophetic ministry, this evangelistic ministry, shepherding ministry, teaching ministry. And we see that Jesus does all of these in their fullness and hands them over to us as purposes, gifts that we can act out of, but also kind of responsibilities for us to take hold of. Do you remember this from a couple weeks ago? And then we talked about manifestational gifts, and this was just last Sunday. So recap if you were here or something new if you weren't. We talked about manifestational gifts, and so let's look back at 1 Corinthians 12 again. These manifestations of the Spirit are given. Message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous power, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits or discernment of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. And Eric proposed that the most confusing aspect of Christian theology was eschatology. Got some scholars in here. End times. And he said the second most confusing 
or divisive, you might say, area of Christian theology is the gifts of the Spirit, or specifically pneumatology, we might call it. And so Eric was like, I'm going to clear this up for you. And he gave us this chart. Show us that again. Did that help? Look at that. I can't read that. <laughs> Why is it the same words on the left as it is on the top? Is this like one of those competition bracket things where you go across and you've got the line and the, you know. I think it was helpful. I'm just joking. But he gave us this chart and we talked about these aspects of Christ-likeness. And that's what I really want to pull out from what Eric talked about last week. When we talk about the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit, we're talking about Christ-likeness. We're talking about the Word of God through a word of knowledge being birthed in us to birth life in somebody else. In other words, we become like Christ as His Word is imprinted on us and then we share it. The same with prophecy. And through interpretation, right, we're doing the same sort of work. And there's this Christ-likeness. And then he talks specifically about tongues. And he answered a few questions. Have they ceased? No. That's what we're telling you, at least. Are all Christians supposed to have this gift? No. Is it the sign of baptism in the Holy Spirit? Is it a sign? Yeah, but not the. And then some others. And ultimately, he encouraged us, and I think if we stopped right here and I didn't say any other words, we'd be in pretty good shape. He said, and I give him too much credit because he stole these words. These are plagiarized. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, before we keep going, that's our objective. So whatever else you hear, if you come away from this series ungifted, even from, dare I say, this Sunday morning, with an increased desire to seek the Spirit and His gifts for you, we'll have done something good. Our other objective is to answer some questions and clear up some confusion and hopefully kind of calm the fires of fear that burn around this divisive and often confusing issue. I, personally, and dear friends of mine, have been hurt by people who've abused these ministries, okay? That's where we're coming from. And yet, I can say with confidence that have they ceased? Absolutely not. Are they good? Absolutely, yes. Should we seek them eagerly? Uh-huh. So that's where we're going, so that we might walk together in the vision Christ gave us through the Scriptures, through the Spirit that He's filled us with. Make sense? All right, that means today we're going to conclude the manifestational gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 with a brief introductory overview of these four remaining ones that you don't see up there. That is discerning the spirits, healing or healings, um, miraculous signs, and faith. And I want to say it's an introductory overview because we're not going to develop mastery of these gifts just by listening to me talk for the next 20 or so minutes. What we are going to do is hopefully have that desire bubble in us and have the opportunity to ask some questions that maybe we can address. And uh, I'll close with some other thoughts about them, some of my history, so you can expect that, um, and some things we often get wrong about them. 
So uh, if we're going to have understanding, we've got to do it right. And the best way to understand something is the Socratic method, that is questions and answers, or questions and more questions. So quite literally, I would like to open it up for remaining questions from last week on the five gifts that we have up on that graph. Do any of you have any questions? Eric and I will do our best in the short moments here to respond to them. You're very kind. There's no shame here. Eric, do you have any remaining questions? Yeah? No, I feel like we hit him well. <laughs> you got it? All right. We have a microphone I can bring around. Any questions? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Do you want to talk specifically about the apest or the manifestational gifts over to the right? Yeah, right. Yeah, they absolutely intersect. Yeah, it sounds like you've got one. Where'd it go? Is that good? Yeah. Great question, Robert. So the idea is, again, think of the left as purposes of the church, and then the top as gifts. So we have a purpose of evangelism, but also gifts in evangelism. So for example, you could be uh, gifted in evangelism, and yet your heart, you really feel called to the shepherding ministries of the church, the shepherding purposes of the church. And so you use your up top gift of evangelism, but really find yourself in the shepherding ministries of the church. And you use that evangelistic gift, say in hospitality, in uh, having a neighbor over uh, for dinner, in uh, serving others in a shepherding way, part of the pastoral care way, but doing it with an evangelistic gift. See that? So all the gifts up top, the vast majority of them can be used in the purposes of the church on the left. Word of knowledge, right? That can be used in all five of the apest or purposes of the church. You can have a, a word of knowledge in apostolic ministry. You can have it in prophetic ministry, evangelistic shepherding and teaching. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. All right. So just one last example. So in a, uh, to have a, say, a prophetic gift, Jedediah could be teaching He's doing one of the purposes of the church. And as he's preparing the message, he gets a prophetic word and he builds that into his sermon or message. Again, it's a teaching, it's a prophetic gift and he's using it in the purpose of teaching. So that's the key is think about purposes of the church 
and then gifts of the church and how you use those gifts. Megan, we have another question. You want the microphone or can you speak up? Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. That's another great question. Yeah. You, you want me to? I'll tackle you? this one if Go. you want. Yeah. So I like to think, there's a lot of different analogies. One that's kind of helpful for me thinking about APEST is like, those are the rooms of the house, right? And a house isn't complete unless you have all five of those rooms functioning fully. Back to Rob's question, the, the, the materials that build those rooms, the designs of those rooms can come out in a lot of different ways. Lots of different gifts can work to build those up, but you need all of those rooms. Now, when it comes to the individual Christian, they ought to be growing in all five of those in the way that Christ was perfect in all five of those. But God has strategically limited each of our individual giftedness so that we rely on each other and build something greater than we could on our own. And so, yes, each of us should be familiar with all of those rooms, but some of us might be better cooks than others. Make sense? Any others? As questions continue to arise, raise your hand. <clears throat> the next four gifts are a little different. Um, it's hard to describe how they're different, except that they're not word-based, I think is the easiest way to think about it. All those five have to do with speaking something to another, whereas these four don't. And in that way, uh, I think they can be harder to fake. <laughs> um, they can also be sometimes easier to miss. But they're really important. I told you a story about my friend. In, oh, yeah, Cambria. My question was that, I don't know if this is on or not, but... My question was that, um, so with doing like saying like interpreting tongues like prophetically or like trying to do the two together, how, um, like what is the best way of going about it when like there could be like the devil behind it kind mm -hmm. of like, I don't really know if that makes any sense, but like how, what is the best way to tell the difference between like the two? So there's a gift called discernment of spirits that we're about to talk about. <laughs> and I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of the times I think, certainly this is true of me, when I think discernment of spirits, the first thing that I think about is that friend and others who've been able to see angels, right? And throughout the scriptures, you get a lot of examples of people who see angels. Angels encounter them. They speak something to them. They terrify them, usually. But Paul uses an example um, and this is in, or sorry, not Paul, uh, John uses an example in 1 John. He says, we are encouraged as the body of Christ to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And this is in uh, context of discussion of people who are prophesying and people who are saying things either about Jesus or 
in the name of Jesus, right? And there's a specific gift that God gives us to be able to discern not only whether it is demonic or angelic, but even the motivation of the individual who's speaking it. And whether that motivation, now a layer deep, is being influenced by something heavenly or satanly. So Jesus, right? All of these gifts we can see in Christ. It's always best to look at Christ to see an example. Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem, and he's approached by one of his disciples, in fact, one who's kind of called the lead of his disciples, and he says, don't go to Jerusalem, they're just going to kill you. And Peter speaks out of wisdom, right? But whose wisdom? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not know the things of God. And Jesus discerns the spirit, not by seeing an angel or a demon in that moment, but by understanding the motivations of the individuals and where truth is actually coming from, i.e. whether it's true or false. And so in this way, discernment of spirits can mean a few different things. It's almost like wisdom. It's almost like an insight kind of into the, through the words of an individual. But then it's also at times the ability to see and to understand what's happening in the spiritual realm. And I think this is one of the more undervalued spiritual gifts. Think about it. Cambria, you asked a perfect question. How do we know if somebody is speaking truth or falsehood prophetically? We need discernment. I hope, I pray, that there are people in here that the Lord gives that gift to, and I assume and I believe that there are. And also, speaking of discernment, raise your hand here if you have known an intercessor or if you yourself are an intercessor. I already described my sister prayed for me for about two years, every single day, regularly, interceded on my behalf. If you introduce somebody say a child, because children are fun, to a person who is an intercessor, who spends four hours a day praying, which is not unheard of in the intercessory world, is that child going to be like, wow, that sounds fun? Thumbs up, thumbs down? <laughs> Maybe, depends on the kid. David would have when he was a kid. <laughs> but if you have the discernment to see what is happening in the spiritual realm while you are praying, that may be the most exciting spot that you can be in the world. When Daniel was praying, the angel approached him after 30 days, was it? 40, 30 days? I'm forgetting. I didn't, I didn't double check. A good period of time. And he said, thank you for your determination in praying because since you started, I've been battling against the forces of the enemy on my way here. You think a kid would be interested in participating in that? I know my kids like Power Rangers, at least. It's like the spiritual realm, what is going on and the influence that our words and our actions and our prayers have in it is significant. And so discernment of spirits allows us, one, sometimes to just see stuff. And that's just cool. And we'll talk more about it later. And two, to be able to discern, right, have insight into what is true and what is false based on what somebody is saying to us. And then three, just get excited about what's going on. Discernment of spirits. Any questions on that one? There ought to be lots, which I don't have answers to. 
We'll keep moving, but you can go back. Healings. This one seems fairly obvious. Uh, it's healing, right? Um, there is a distinction here. We celebrate and we rejoice and we endorse um, uh, medicine, right, and the scientific community and all of the good work that they do. That itself is a gift. This is a little bit distinct from that in that these are specifically healings that are more unexplainable. They happen supernaturally. They're more akin to the resurrection of Jesus and their signs to that resurrection. No amount of science can raise a person from the dead in the way that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? And in the same way, there are times through the laying on of hands, through the praying of the saints, when someone is healed in a way that is unexplainable by science. It's not a rejection of science in any way. We support both. Um, but it is miraculous and supernatural. In fact, uh, I preached, and when I say preached, I mean I interviewed other people so I didn't have to talk much, way back on May 3rd about healing. And I really encourage you to go back to that if you want to just hear some more stories and get some more insight into healing ministry because it, it's a lot. Um, but it's a big deal. And I want to explain why it's a big deal. Um, Rob, back to your question, where does these gifts and these ministries intersect? I did a study a number of years ago and just looked at data. And um, looking at the global church, if you want to know how abnormal we are in the West, some, I, th I think 77%, this was back in about 2015, of global Christians directly attribute their conversion to a miraculous healing of themselves or a family member. Think about that. That's of new Christians, of, of new converts. So like less than a quarter come through another means. Three quarters of global Christians say, I believed in Jesus first because myself or a family member got miraculously healed. Whoa! <laughs> I mean... Why not seek it? That's a powerful evangelical tool. And to reduce it to just an evangelical tool is to limit how good it actually is because not only are people being saved spiritually, but their bodies are being restored to them. It's a win-win. It's just a win-win. <clears throat> healing ministries. It's also worth pointing out, last thing on healings uh, for me before questions, uh, that it is plural. There are different types of healings, right? the same way we have different doctors, right? We've got physicians, we've got psychiatrists, we've got chiropractors even, right? There are different healings, and we celebrate all of those. You might be given a gift of healing that can address, I don't know, a broken bone. I'll tell a story about that later. Maybe you're given a gift of healing that can address depression. Wouldn't that be awesome? Pray for it. Pray for people in love. Any questions on healing? Thoughts? Working of miracles is very similar, um, but uh, instead of having to do with health, it has to do with other things. These tend to be the rarest in my experience, but my experience is pretty limited. We see a lot of it in Jesus. Think of the feeding of the 5,000 or the walking on water or even probably more incredible, the calming of the storm, both of those, right? And we think of the Old Testament with Moses 
um, not only the exodus and the plagues and all of those sorts of things, the parting of the water, but also when they ran out of food and quail um, ran in in the night and manna fell from heaven and water came from the rock. These sorts of miracles fall under this category, working of miracles. I don't know what else to say about that. They're kind of awesome. We'll get to it. Except I hope that we see them. Pray for them. We'll get back to it. Faith. And this one I think is the most peculiar. Any questions on miracles, healing, or going back to discernment of spirits? Yeah. So just a, perhaps more of an observational question. If three-quarters of new converts in 2015 attributed their conversion to gifts of a miraculous healing mm-hmm. globally. Yeah, yeah. That did not include American or European Christians. So I, I guess it did include European, not American Then Christians. why don't we see that or hear of that? That's like an amazing number, but obviously you made a point. Here in America, we don't hear that. We don't see that. That's like a mystery. How often do you talk to people from Zimbabwe? Yeah. <laughs> or from Iraq and Iran, or from Nepal. Uh, I think that's the issue. Um, One of the major issues, and we'll talk about this again a little bit later when I get into some problems in my own personal history, is that in the West, we think we're the best. Pretty straightforward. So why would I listen to believers from other parts of the world except to learn how I can go there to minister to them? And yet the Lord is a God who flips things on their head, isn't he? The last become first and the first become last. Um, And so I think a lot of the reason we don't hear it in the West is just because we're far away. And then I think a lot of the reason is because embedded in uh, in the Western church is a bit of arrogance that we get the opportunity to uh, humble ourselves before. And I just uh, add to that that also, there is a, our worldview as American Christians, we discount all things supernatural. And so we assume, oh, those are for the primitive people. Those for the, are the unenlightened people. Well, yeah, that's a story, but there, there's got to be some kind of scientific story. So there's a huge discounting of those stories that we, um, that we just assume, we, we almost discredit as we hear that, right? Um, and part of the reason why we struggle so much with supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit is because of that same mindset. Which one of you? Oh, the big one. <laughs> So a former pastor of mine once said that the spiritual center of the world and the political center of the world, often the spiritual center of the world moves and then the political center of the world follows it. Could, could part of that healing question be that the spiritual center of the world has, I guess, the place where God is working the most, has left the West and it's moved to the east, and we're seeing the center of political power following that, assuming that that thesis is truthful? 
I don't know much about the thesis. That sounds like a wonderful discussion for a class. Um, what I can say is that the, uh, wherever the center of the spiritual world is, um, I mean, we can equate to wherever the spirit is active. Um, and uh, I think we should seek it out. And so whether or not political center follows it is less important than whether we follow it, right? And the other thing is regarding spiritual centers, as much as God is doing profound and wonderful things elsewhere, and we celebrate and we actually ought to, I believe, seek out those stories and retell those stories um, and learn from those stories and from those people, it's also essential as we do it to remember that we are as close to God as we will ever be because of his presence dwelling in us, right? And so there's, there's both a longing for the things of God and an assurance of the presence of God with us. So in a sense, the center of the spiritual world is wherever you are, because God is no more or less God wherever he is, and he's where you are. And yet we celebrate some of these incredible things, the theological centers, the best thinking, the best ministry, the best kind of church practice we can learn from. And I think you're right to say that those have moved to some of those places that you've said. <laughs> Faith, the most boring of the gifts. It's generic, it means nothing, it's what we all have. I'm going to quote word for word words from Eric's uh, book, um, Jesus' Big Idea. He says, this is a special form of faith that goes beyond natural faith and saving faith. Some believers may have a trust that seems beyond normal. They lead us to specific situations as they express no doubt but have an unwavering faith about what God will accomplish. I have seen this gift, I being Eric, expressed in different people in different situations, and usually they are a huge comfort to those of us struggling to trust God. This is the most boring and the most generic, and yet is the most remarkable and the most central and the most essential. I believe I've mentioned a gentleman named uh, Richard Wormbrand before here, but he's kind of what I would call one of my heroes of the faith. He's the founder of a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. He was a pastor in Romania during the Nazi invasion in World War II, and that was bad. And then the communists got Romania after World War II, and many of those Eastern European countries were just kind of left. And the communists were worse. And he resisted the Communist Party by evangelizing, by saying Jesus is Lord. That was his resistance, by continuing to baptize believers. And they put him in prison for 14 years and tortured him and beat him. They brought his wife to labor camps, put her in prison as well. And their son um, was essentially, he was still living, uh, an orphan on the streets for his whole life. Like, bad. And you can read Richard Wormbrand's testimonies. And um, despite knowing what the communists would do when he evangelized, he not only evangelized anyway, but responded to the burning in his heart that they specifically were the ones he should evangelize to. Think about that. And so not only did he kind of sneak around their soldiers, to evangelize, to baptize. 
he would actually sneak into their barracks so that he could get the door closed and have a group of them alone so he could share the gospel. He was arrested, put in jail, tortured, and as far as I know, I don't know of any miraculous signs or healings that occurred in his life. But while he was in prison, he didn't ask to be set free. <laughs> when he was sick in prison, he barely prayed for healing. I'm sure he did, but it's not what he recounts as important. But ministering on his deathbed to the Russian communists, the Soviet communists, was his objective through and through and through and through and through. Faith. And it's that sort of faith that puts into perspective what is best, what is true, what is most important, that actually gives direction to all of these other things. And this is where we're going to start to go in just a minute. And it's also interesting to me that faith is one of these gifts because it is exemplified in the people like Richard Wormbrand or the, um, the Roman centurion in the Bible who called for Peter, right? and many others, um, or the soldier at the foot of the cross who said, you, this one is the Son of God. But it's also comforting to me that in this list of these kind of, well, these manifestational gifts, they're weird, they're strange, they're hard to put your finger on, that faith is listed as one of them. As if to say that faith, the little faith that each and every one of us have, generic, sure, but it is just as remarkable, just as valuable, and just as powerful for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the building of God's people as any of these other acts of power. I believe that. Because an act of power done in wrong faith doesn't advance the kingdom of God. Any questions? Thoughts? This is fun. We're going to do a quick survey just to get a kind of a self-assessment of where we are. Again, there's no shame. There's no, this isn't a test at all. This is just to see what exists in our congregation. Raise your hand if you personally have experienced or if somebody who you would call very close to you has experienced some sort of miraculous healing. Raise your hand if someone, or if you, same thing, you or someone very close to you has, has witnessed or observed, seen some sort of uh, working of miracle or deed of power. Got a few? Faith in a supernatural way. Tongues. Any tongue speakers in here? You? Anyone interpret tongues before? I see a stretch. <laughs> a couple less who's ever received some sort of supernatural word of wisdom or been given one by another person a few word of knowledge prophecy all right discernment of spirits who here sees angels and demons on a regular basis couple. It's not as rare as we thought, <laughs> but it would be great if it was less rare. I want to go back to this story. My friend shared over there in the corner of this little walkout basement, 
Um, there were some angels there in this room as they were sharing. And it, I don't need this mic. I don't know why I'm holding this mic. Um, <laughs> and it, um, it was pretty remarkable, as I imagine you can imagine, um, of a young child who hadn't been exposed to this sort of thing. And it started me on this journey um, pretty quickly. We watched a movie together called The Finger of God. If any of you have seen that by a director named Darren Miller, it's pretty cool. Um, and just kind of exposed to these more miraculous things, some of these manifestational gifts. And then all of a sudden in my life, some of these things started to happen as well. I was given the gift of tongues while I was praying for a friend. Um, and then I was, um, yeah, given some really sweet moments with it, with the Lord. Um, and then all of a sudden I got to see some really remarkable healings. A friend of mine had uh, astigmatism in his eyes and we prayed for his eyes and his eyes were fixed. Um, a friend of mine had a, a, not a broken leg, but it was like really pretty severe shin splints. And so we prayed for him and he went and did a front flip in the yard, back flip, sorry, handspring. Um, a buddy of mine just had a simple fever. Sometimes it's simple things, right? Peter's mother-in-law just had a fever. Um, I prayed for this friend of mine and he was healed and he's since become a minister himself after not really being a believer at all before then. And these gifts started to emerge in my life, but, and I want to speed this up because I want us to have some time. What was remarkable to me um, as these gifts continued to, and I apologize, I'd love to tell you more stories. We'll have time for it later. Um, as these manifestational gifts continued to expose themselves in my world, and I saw people begin to abuse them, what's remarkable to me is how important it is to understand that the gifts help shape our worldview more than they function as like cool clothes to wear. Can you hear what I'm saying? If we're going to be a community that pursues the gifts of the Spirit, we cannot do it because they're cool. We can't. It'll hurt. It'll endanger people. It'll be destructive towards the souls and the minds of people. But that is so often how we treat them, right? I see a person on a stage playing a guitar, and I think, I want to be like them. Look how cool their guitar is. Their hairstyle's so sweet, right? Look at Bono's rose glasses. They're so cool. And we treat the gifts the same way, exactly the same way. Somebody performs a miraculous sign, and we say, ooh, wouldn't it be awesome to be like that person? And you want to put on their robes. You want to put on their clothes because they're kind of the cool thing. But what the gifts are, well, they're gifts first of all, but they are signs of a world that we've been exposed to. And I apologize if this is unclear. But when Jesus came, right, and he established this new covenant with us, he wasn't just saying, look, I'm going to make you cooler people. But he was saying, I am establishing a new kingdom. The gifts follow the pursuit of the kingdom. I believe when Jesus is talking about not worrying, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Well, look at these gifts. When do I need to be healed? The same time I have reason to worry. <laughs> 
When do I need a miracle? Probably the same time I have reason to worry. Yet seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. One of the more influential verses in my life is from Jeremiah 6, 16, and I think we have it on the screen, actually. And a friend of mine had a dream, and he was at a point in his life where he had to make a pretty significant decision. And so he had this dream, and it was like the famous Robert Frost poem, right, where these two roads diverge in the wood, and which one do, do I choose? And he, Robert Frost says, what, the one less traveled, right? Well, in this dream, this verse was put on my friend's head, and he saw a road descend from heaven in the middle of them. He said, this is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. We can ignore the last part for a little bit. (laughs) And you might be asking, Jed, what does this have to do with the gifts of the Spirit? Well, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us for the sake of finding rest for our souls. And I think we run into trouble when we seek the gifts of the Spirit for the sake of having the gifts of the Spirit, as opposed to seeking the gifts of the Spirit for the sake of the kingdom of God so that we and others might have rest for our souls and allowing the Lord to provide that pathway, i.e. a gift of the Spirit, to solve a problem we otherwise wouldn't have a path out of. That's when we get healthy representation of the gifts. The world is going to give you trouble. Amen? And the world is going to put before you options. If I'm Richard Wormbrand and I'm in jail, my options are to give up or fight, according to the world. Which option did he choose? If I'm Moses and my back's against the Red Sea and all these people are relying on me, my options are to surrender or fight. Which option did he choose? Neither. We as believers are called into the world to contend against the powers and the principalities of the world as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And if we think that we can be ambassadors of the kingdom of God with the tools of the world, we're tricking ourselves. But the gifts of the Spirit are the tools that God has given us, right? To be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, not of the world. And so it starts not with us wanting to put on cool clothes so that we can have higher standing in the world. Wrong motivation, not going to work. It starts with us saying, I don't care what clothes that I'm wearing. I don't care whether or not I have food to eat on my table tomorrow because I know the Lord will provide for me. But I care about the kingdom of God, seeking it first. And I know that when I come to a pathway where there's thorns and cliffs, the Lord will provide a way. Amen? And we treat the manifestational gifts of the Spirit in the same way as we eagerly desire them because they are good and because through them people will be saved and because through them people's bodies will feel better, because through them we'll have hope in dire situations and because through them God himself will be glorified in us. We got four minutes left, but you can stay as long as you want. The band's going to come back up. 
I'm going to invite the elders up, and I want us to pray. Or, if you want, you can get in those groups we prayed with at the beginning, and you can just pray with each other. You don't even have to come forward. Just turn around and pray with each other. And there's a lot, I think, that you can pray for, specifically regarding these things we've discussed in the last few weeks. But I do hope that you at least pray, Lord, show me a glimpse of your kingdom so that I might seek it and so that I might find myself in circumstances where your manifestational power is the only way to solve the problems that you find important. Does that make sense? So band, let's come up. If we can, we might have lost them. Elders, if you wouldn't mind coming forward, let's pray together. Father, bless you so much for this community. Bless you so much for these people whose hearts you've touched, whose hearts you've moved. Would you equip us? Would you equip us to go and to win the battles, not against the powers of this world, but against um, the powers and principalities that rule over it? Lord, fill us with faith. Lord, where they are good, would you uh, show us your miraculous power? Lord, heal the sick among us. Give us hands to do so. And Jesus, in all these things, like Roxanne pointed out, Lord, would you help us be humble before you? Would you help us be humble before you? Knowing that you have the power to do all things, and yet knowing that your way of salvation was through the cross. Lord, let us be willing to take up that cross. In all its power, in all its humiliation, that you might receive your due, that the lost might be found, that the sick would be healed, that those in chains would be set free. In Jesus' name.